Today we continue this, well, it's like a study in the book of James that Ken and I were talking about. I don't know for how long it's going to be, but I know that I have to teach on James. And the first week that we talked about James, we learned that growing believers can prove their commitment to Jesus by the perseverance during trials. That was the first thing that we were talking about the first week. In the second week that we were talking about the study of James, we talked about the growing believers are active listeners and practitioners of the word. And as you can tell, the book of James is known for being a very practical book. It's influenced by the book of Proverbs, but also is influenced by the teachings of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount. So you can see just a lot of practical ways that you can apply this book. It's, the purpose of this book is to encourage the believers that are facing persecution because of their faith so that they can practically apply the gospel. It's supposed to be very practical. For believers that are experiencing trials. Now, today's message is simple, yet critical, because it's going to address the number one criticism against us as Christians. There's one thing that no matter who you ask, hey, what do you think about Christianity? The first thing that they say, pretty much, is Christians don't practice what they preach. That's the number one criticism that we have. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. Which is interesting. If we're honest, church, we can admit that in many ways, you and I have contributed to our reputation, particularly in the area of loving our neighbor. But not the people that are actually around you where you live. What James is actually addressing is the people that actually come to this place, the community of believers. That even though I am from Ecuador and you may be from the United States, you and I have more in common because we are in Christ Jesus than me having someone, some commonality with someone that is from Ecuador that is not a Christ follower. So even though that I don't know your whole story, the fact that you're a believer, the fact that you love Jesus, my tendency or my desire should be to see you as a priority and to serve you as a priority because you're in Christ. That's the biggest unity that we have as believers. And when we apply that unity and that love, the scripture says, coming from the mouth of Jesus, that that's a powerful testimony to those unbelievers that are trying to pursue love, they're trying to pursue unity, but quite honestly, it doesn't work. Because Jesus said, I'm the one who accomplishes unity because I'm the one who purchased it. The people of David and the people of Goliath can actually be together because of me. And when you display the love for one another and you serve one another, people outside this community are going to see those guys belong to Jesus. There's something so powerful and so attractive about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we're talking about loving. It seems like we're pretty quick to help others. And this is kind of like a little bit of confessional. We're quick to help others in our community of believers as long as it's not inconvenient. Now, as I was processing this, I came, up, I came across this story of a man falling into a hole. A man fell into a hole and couldn't get himself out. A Christian scientist told him, you think you have fallen into a hole. Then a Pharisee walked by and told him, 
Only bad people fall into holes. Then another person walked by him, a fundamentalist, told him, you deserve to have fallen into that hole. Then a charismatic came, walked by and saw the man in the hole and said to him, just positively profess that you're no longer in that hole. Then a Methodist came and saw the guy and told him, I brought you some food and water since you're down in that hole. A Presbyterian walked by and told him, you were destined to fall into that hole. An optimist came, walked by, and told him, worse things could have happened than falling into that hole. A pessimist told him, you think that hole is bad? Just wait till you see what else might happen. A sympathetic person walked by and said to the person in the hole, I really feel for you down there in that hole. A self-esteem therapist told him, Believe in yourself, and you can get out of that hole. Jesus seen the man, took him by the hand, and lit him out of that pit. As you can see, there's a big chasm between words and deeds. There's a big chasm between saying, yeah, I want to be like Jesus, than actually becoming like Jesus. Now, if you're thinking after this story and this introduction, Man, I, have, I haven't done enough. I am not like Jesus. I need to be better. I'm just not good enough. Then you don't understand the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is simply this. That is the good news of the person and works of Jesus Christ and his coming, coming kingdom. It's good news. One of the greatest things about this good news is this word called justification, which means that you are declared Righteous. So no matter what you have done in the past, when Jesus sees you face to face, because you have confessed your sins and put your trust in him, he looks at you and says, I am not going to count all the things that you have done. Enter into my kingdom. That's why it's the greatest news. That after this life, there's a life to come. And then we have the greatest judge saying, you're forgiven. You're declared righteous. Just by believing in me, come in, is one of the greatest news ever told. Now, if you're like me, I also struggle with trying to do things to get positive points with my God. Like sometimes, I don't know about you, but I struggle that, man, I didn't read my devotional, therefore this stuff is happening to me. Or maybe I didn't pray enough, therefore I, I just... I feel like far away from the Lord. Or maybe it didn't serve enough. That's why I'm like, ah, I think if, am I really saved? And my hope with today's message is not to produce doubt, but to, to encourage you and to affirm the salvation that we all hope and believe it's in you. That's our hope. That it's in you. Good works, as we're going to look at it in the book of James, are meant not to add anything to your justification or salvation. Good works rather exist as the means for you and I to experience the reality of our salvation by the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus and so mature our faith, like James says in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Kind of join my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces maturity. Therefore, the main point is this, and if you have something to take notes with, this is your time for you to pull out your phone, 
or write this down. And I'm going to give you 10 seconds to do that. Pull out your phone and write this stuff down because this is the essence of the message. This is it. Growing believers. Growing believers. Demonstrate their faith. Growing believers. Demonstrate their faith by the production of good works. Growing believers demonstrate their faith by the production of good works. And what we're going to discover is that good works are not applied as a necessity because we're declared righteous. Good works, good works are applied out of identity in our identity in Christ. If you haven't done this already, James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26 I'm going to read from verses 14 to 17 to talk about the faith, says James, cannot exist without good works. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers? I'm reading from the ESV. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have work, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. Kind of like the, oh, you feel bad? You don't have this? I'm going to just pray for you. And not praying, kind of like that happens to us. Without giving them the things they needed for the body. What good is that, says James? So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Now, the question that I was asking myself that I hope you're asking yourself is this. How does James use the term faith and works in these verses? Because, I don't know if you counted when uh, the scripture was being read, these two terms, faith and works, that's happening 11 times throughout the text, which that should communicate you right off the bat that that's really important for James in this section. So how is, he really, how is he using those terms, faith and works? I believe that James insists that salvific faith will authenticate itself in the production of good works. That faith and works are inseparable elements about the reality of salvation. Let me illustrate. My daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, I clean my room. Which to me as a dad, I'll be like, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Comes to you, comes to me. My daughter comes to me and says, hey, Daddy, I clean my room. I'm like, great, excellent. And then she goes, can I now be your daughter? What's the problem with that statement? What do you think? My daughter comes to me and says, I clean my room. Can I now be your daughter? What do you guys think? Doesn't make sense. It doesn't kind of like doesn't make sense. What I will say to my daughter is, well, First of all, the fact that my daughter is saying, Dad, I clean my room, can I now be your daughter? It reveals the absurdity of her identity. She doesn't need to do anything to be my daughter. She just is my daughter. So, because she's my daughter, she needs to clean her room. She needs to be kind to her brother, brother and sister, especially her brother. She needs to be kind to her brother because of her identity. It's the same thing in Christ. We don't do good works or, or fulfill somebody's need so that we can actually become 
sons and daughters of God. Because we are already, we are declared righteous. It's given to us. That's the good news. The result of that, the byproduct of that is for us to do good works. And this is the most crazy thing about the gospel. It's so hard to believe it. Because it's easy for us to just try to do the law, do, 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 and to always see that we don't match, that we don't match that standard. It's so easy for us. That's what is so difficult to believe that someone else pay on my behalf. It's really complicated to grasp sometimes. That's what requires faith in the work of someone else. In this case, Jesus Christ. We obey and do good works to those who are lacking, are poorly clothed, or lacking daily food, not to obtain something, but because of our identity in Christ, because of the salvation that we have. James is not insisting that we must add good works to our faith, but the good works are the byproduct of our faith in Jesus. Now, some skepticals in the Bible, they will say, but what about Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 5? Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Paul clearly says in Romans 4, 1 through 5, he says, well, you are supposed to be justified by faith alone, not by works. So you see, there's a mistake in your Bible. Those two guys are contradicting each other. Well, the reality is, and I think this is very important that you know, that Paul and James are not contradicting themselves, actually saying the exact, the exact same thing in different ways. Paul insists that no man can ever win justification through his own efforts, but must accept by faith the forgiveness that God offers him in Christ Jesus. And the reason that he's saying that is because of his audience. They have a completely different issue that he was addressing. In other words, he's speaking against Jewish legalism. That's what he's saying hey, you cannot win justification through your own efforts, but you have to place your trust, your faith in Jesus. James, on the other hand, he demands that the man who already claims to stand in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus must demonstrate it through, the, through a life of good works. In other words, he's speaking to sluggish faith. One guy is talking to a guy who he's having this legalistic mindset, that I don't have to do these things. I'm already accepted because of, I am a, because of my citizenship and as, as an Israelite. The only one is, well, I'm already, I'm already a citizen of Israel. Uh, I don't have to do anything else, so my faith is just going to be okay if I don't do anything. Sluggish faith. Two different audiences, but I believe, and the scripture is very clear, that Paul and James view good works as the proof of faith, not the path of salvation, not the path of salvation. So, as growing believers, growing believers display their faith in Jesus when they do good to others, not to add anything to our salvation, but to demonstrate, to demonstrate to others the reality, the reality of the perfect atoning work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now, maybe you're feeling skeptical about everything that I'm saying. Maybe right now you're feeling like, I don't know about that, dude. I don't know. Well, the reality is that some of James' readers were feeling skeptical as well. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19. Do you believe that God is one? You do well, and even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So you can see he's using a rhetorical question. Not to cause, not to cause doubt on the readers. He doesn't want the readers to be confused or to be doubtful about their salvation. They just want them to think the importance of these two aspects, faith and works, that is not enough just to know about God. It is actually critical to actually know him and to apply what we know about him. When we read these words in James, verses 18 to 20, it's pretty obvious to me, I don't know about you, that the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, are echoing throughout these words. Matthew 21, Matthew 7, verse 21, there's some, uh, I believe they're one of the most terrifying statements in, um, that came from the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, they would not preach in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works like healing people in your name. And then, says Jesus, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then later he finishes by saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. How critical it is, both Jesus and James are saying the same thing, to apply what we know, to apply our faith in Jesus. Not because we need to earn anything, but because it's our identity to please the Father. Now the critical assertion in these verses we see well, faith and works can be separated and not depend on each other. That's what the critic's saying. Well, these two things can be actually separated. Well, then James challenged to the critic. He says, well, good works is the byproduct of a growing faith. Knowledge about the person and works of God is not enough for salvation. And then he says something that is terrifying. That he's, I believe he's, supposed, he's using this to shake the audience um, uh, minds and hearts to really understand what he's trying to say. The knowledge about God is not enough. He said that even the demons believe and shudder. Every time you see that phrase, you believe that God is one, you do well, that's a reference, I believe, to Deuteronomy chapter 6 of the Shema, that God is one, that there's one true God in the whole universe. James is saying that even the demons know that Jesus is the true Son of God. They believe that. They know that at the end, when judgment day is going to come, he's going to make everything new. They know that. They believe that. But that belief, that knowledge, does not result in obedience. Does not result in actually pleasing the Father. And that's what I think is something that should cause us to think. In fact, the reality of demons knowing God by shattering, just being scared, should convict us about the, necessi the, the necessary relationship that needs to exist between saving faith and works. Church, the whole point of this section in James, that I'm, as I'm describing this to you, is for us to consider 
how is my life pleasing the Lord, not only with my words, but with my actions? And I hope that I'm not being intentional to keep saying this over and over and over again, that the purpose of us pleasing the Lord in our obedience is not, you should not equate that as quantity, like how much are you doing? Because following Jesus is like a marathon. We just have to get to the end. We take one day at a time. Cleanse them something interesting. Like, it's true. We, we live in California. There are so many discouraging things. I'm sure work is tough. I'm sure you're surrounded by people that they do not love Jesus. I'm sure you feel discouraged. I'm sure you're struggling in trusting the Lord that he's going to provide for you. I'm sure that many times, like you, like me, excuse me, you struggle with feeling that you're not enough. And I hope that you can hear me. That we have been given so much in Christ. And us doing good works is not so that we earn anything. But for us to experience the reality that you are saved. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Following Jesus is not not easy. It is difficult. When you have many personalities, it's difficult. But James is asking the congregation, and we're asking ourselves too, we're asking all of us, that by the way that we treat one another, we should display, display the perfect and amazing work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And then James uses two examples to affirm that, to affirm that I don't do good works so that I will earn anything. I do good works to display the reality of my salvation. And here's another thing that we see with Abraham. That when we display good works, not only we experience the reality of the salvation, like, man, I am saved, I am different, but also to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Growing believers are aware that knowledge of God without application is not enough. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That's James' main point. In this section we see these biblical examples that James provides. James is providing two seemingly, seemingly polar opposite examples. Very two different examples. To drive his point of demonstrating your faith in God with our actions. Abraham in particular, Father Abraham, the father of, of the nation of Israel, he uses him as an illustration to show that Abraham's faith was put into work and was the motivating power that gave him the willingness to sacrifice his only child. That's what we see in verses 21, 22. His faith in God gave, was the motivating power, energy, that gave him the willingness to sacrifice his only child. Bringing that faith to his intended goal, that I believe 
It's experiencing an intimate relationship with God by placing him above everyone. The point of Abraham sacrificing his son, his only son, which he didn't do, was not to earn something from God, but was, to, but was for him to experience the faith that was already given to him, the declaration of righteousness, for him to see that he has been declared righteous, for him to see, to experience that he is considered also a friend of God. And then he uses another crazy illustration with Rahab. Likewise, her faith in God's plan for Israel, regardless of her condition, class in society, and ethnicity, was put into work when she allowed this messenger escape conquer her city, and so begin the conquering of the promised land. These two examples, Abraham and Rahab, prove that a living faith is a working faith, and that one cannot live without the other. For us, the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Brothers and sisters, growing believers demonstrate their faith by the production of good works. There's something that we do. We're not doing things so that we earn anything from the Lord. We do good works because of the, the salvation that we have in Him. Our faith in Christ propels us to do good works to others, especially those in the faith. And we are aware the knowledge of God without application is not enough. Is not enough. However, we do good works not out of necessity, but identity. And we have great biblical examples affirming that faith and works are inseparable and the means to help us experience a more intimate relationship with our God. What an amazing God we have. For us to experience that, for us to not doubt that we're saved. Now, what's the point of this whole sermon? I want to ask you a couple questions. I just want to ask you, yeah, a couple questions. Who at Christ Church Los Angeles are you helping get out of their home? Because James is talking to people in a congregation. Who is that person that I need to help this person get out of their home? Who is the Lord putting in your mind and in my mind and in my heart and in your heart to come alongside and fulfill a need? A lot of needs represented in this room. It can be emotional. It can be spiritual. It can be financial. So how, what are we doing to coming alongside someone? I love that we send Jesus paid it all. And we rest on that. But we also, in the Lord's Prayer, we said, well, give us this day our daily bread. And there's some people that may not have that. And they're trusting that. But there's some that do have 10 meals and a loved one. Clint said, the only thing that I want to add to what Clint said is that, yes, be thankful for what God has given us, but are we sharing the meal with someone that does not have the meal that you know belongs to this body? Because it can be easy to say, oh, you don't have that. I'll pray for you. I heard two weeks ago of a great testimony of someone in our midst who didn't have a car, and someone just gave him one, fulfilling a need. I haven't been able to stop thinking about that. I experienced that as well. I've experienced people generously coming alongside us as a family as we've been living in the U.S. 
Also, I've had people in my life mentoring me, being patient with me when I was so stubborn and not knowing things and trying to choosing not to believe in things or not understanding things. I saw the body of Christ rising up and coming alongside me and coming alongside my family. Historically, Christians are being known for doing things, fighting against injustice, loving those who are marginalized. Christians have always been known to do that. And praise be to God for that because that has been a powerful testimony to a watching world that the gospel really changes people's lives. The gospel really changes people's lives. I'll finish with this. When, um, when my kids were uh, little, one of the things that I was looking forward to was to see them walk. That was one thing I always looked forward to do. I cannot wait for these kids to walk. Now I regret it. But <laughs> I remember the first time my kids started walking. And they give those first steps. Remember that? Those three steps, and then they fall. Never once I told my kids, idiot, how come you're not walking more? You're supposed to be walking more. How come just three steps? Ah, so annoying. You're not walking. You're Latino. Come on. Supposed to be dancing by age six months. Moving those hips, like you're supposed to be doing that. I've never said that. Never. In fact, every time my, my kid did one step or two steps, you know what I said? He's walking. He's walking. She is walking. Now, let's be logical. Let's be American a little bit. Okay, let's be logical. Is that person really walking? Is my child really walking? No, it's giving steps. Not really walking. I walk. You just gave a couple of steps. But as a loving father, when I see my child just giving a couple of steps, I celebrate and saying, You're walking. That should be that's how we that's how we should see ourselves as sons and daughters of our great heavenly father. That every day we try to demonstrate his goodness. That every, try, every day we're trying to fight against sin. Every, try, every time we're trying to serve. And we're trying to increase the spiritual temperature of our lives. And even though that we have some good days and bad days, our Heavenly Father is saying to you, you are walking in my steps because I bought you. You are mine. And you're walking. You are walking, and I celebrate that because you're mine. Everything that you do is not so that you can earn anything from me. I already give you everything. I give you myself. I give you myself. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for the word. That sometimes we're just trying to like rationalize or look many ways to not do what you ask us to do. But Father, I pray that you will help all of us experience the reality of the salvation that is true in Christ Jesus. Help all of us, Lord, to see every opportunity that we have to serve others as that, as an opportunity, 
an opportunity to make your name known. Thank you for this body that have embraced me and my family so well, and we're very thankful for them. We love you and we pray. Amen.